Should the U.S. terminate the tomato suspension agreement with Mexico? This agreement is intended to keep Mexico from flooding the U.S. market with underpriced tomatoes. However, some industry leaders say it's not working and the agreement needs to be terminated so Mexico can be held accountable. Others worry that terminating the agreement and making Mexico pay duties or fines for these tomatoes will lead to that nation sending us less product. They are against terminating the agreement. Now, I've talked with leaders on both sides of the issues and we'll have both interviews for you in this two-part series. Next week, we hear from Michael Shadler with the Florida Tomato Exchange, who will explain Mexico's tomato dumping and the effects on U.S. growers. But this week, we'll start with the interview I did first, which is with Lance Youngmeyer, president of the Fresh Produce Association of the Americas. The association is against terminating the agreement. It and its members help to ensure North America's uninterrupted access to Mexican-grown fruits and vegetables. Like always, I encourage you to listen to both interviews before forming any opinions on the issue. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Now let's get into this week's Agnet Weekly. We wanted to talk about the tomato suspension agreement and a letter that came out from several hundred businesses about this. Can you start out by explaining to my listeners, first off, what the agreement is and what this letter is? Sure. Well, uh, the tomato suspension agreement is an agreement between the United States government and the tomato growers of Mexico. It was put in place after an anti-dumping uh, lawsuit in the 1990s, and it's been renewed every five years. And basically what it does is it sets terms for a minimum price for tomatoes, for Mexican t- uh, tomatoes coming into the market, as well as some other conditions, such as condition uh, inspections, um, some other conditions. So um, last, let's see, about three months ago, four months ago, the Florida Tomato Exchange asked the Department of Commerce to terminate the suspension agreement. And um, normally it's on a track to be renegotiated in 2024. So it was a little uh, interesting that they asked for it to be terminated uh, early. And what it would have the practical impact of doing is putting duties of about 20.9% on most Mexican tomatoes coming into the United States. And um, there's a lot of companies that are involved in the import of Mexican tomatoes. And they, they play a huge role in the U.S. economy just as much as the uh, you know the, the growers in the southeast who are growing tomatoes as well. Um, so this this letter came out over 400 companies asking uh, Secretary Raimondo from Department of Commerce to maintain the suspension agreement. These are 400 companies from over 32 states, and it kind of shows you that um, whether you're an importing company, let's say in McAllen, Texas, or in San Diego or Nogales, Arizona, you're often uh, employing a lot of people in the local economy there, you're purchasing um, boxes and, and other services that play into the economy. You're purchasing seeds that go into Mexico and it becomes part of this big chain um, where we even see a lot of the, the companies that are growers in Florida have uh, gotten involved and are growing in Mex- tomatoes in Mexico as well. Um, so it, it was perplexing to us that they want to see duties on tomatoes uh, given that some of the Florida companies are involved in Mexico as well. Um, so we're, we're very concerned by this because when, if those duties go into place, um, most people say that those duties will be in place for, for 10, 20 years or more. And it's hard to imagine what the United States market would be like without Mexican tomatoes because the Mexican tomatoes are the ones that are vine ripened. Um, they're, they're the ones that often have the calyx or the 
the stem attached and and kind of have a a sort of upmarket appeal for tomatoes. From what I understand, I have not yet talked with Florida Tomato Exchange, but from what I understand, their position is that despite the suspension agreement, Mexico was still dumping tomatoes into the United States, which has an, a negative effect on our tomato growers, um, our farmers here in the United States. And so they want the suspension agreement terminated so that then Mexico will at least be required to pay some duties, some fees for these tomatoes that they're dumping into the U.S., and, and which is, is kind of what you said as well. With the position of not wanting the termination of the suspension agreement, what do we do then to keep Mexico from, from dumping tomatoes and, and products like, like they have been? Well, I'll be clear. Mexico has not been dumping tomatoes in recent years. The, the study in 1995 found that there was uh, injury. However, um, in recent years, Department of Commerce has, has maintained the tomato suspension agreement, which requires that, uh, that dumping not be permitted. Um, so the tomato suspension agreement itself requires that, uh, showing that over 85% of tomatoes from Mexico were traded um, fairly and, and not dumped. And so in all the years that Commerce has overseen the suspension agreement, they've never terminated for that reason. Um, the Florida Tomato Exchange keeps coming back and saying, well, there have been uh, over 100 infractions, and there have been zero major violations, uh, anything that would cause Commerce to terminate the agreement. What has been found oftentimes are paperwork mistakes, data entry mistakes, uh, simple mistakes that a company might make once and rectify and, and not make that mistake again. So um, we, we feel like they're blowing this way out of proportion and trying to use the political climate to kind of gain some advantage here. Yeah, and speaking of the political climate, there are congressmen, I believe, who have kind of jumped on this as well on their end and are also pressing for the uh, termination of that. That would be Representative Costa from California and Rubio from Florida. So, um, Senator Rubio, excuse me, from Florida. With having that political influence involved on the, you know, on the side of the Florida tomato exchange, do you think that that is a problem for your side? Well, um, it's definitely a political issue and historically, politically, you would say this is a, a Florida versus Arizona fight. And just uh, like that, we've seen that the Arizona senators really rallied to make a letter on uh, the side of maintaining the suspension agreement. And so 33 Congress people signed that letter. I don't know if you've seen a copy. I can make sure you get a copy. But uh, Senator Sinema, Senator Kelly uh, out of Texas, Senator Cruz, uh, Senator Cornyn, um, a few other senators and, and numerous Congress people from a variety of states chimed in. And, you know, we, we really see that this is, at this stage, kind of a political fight. And uh, because the, the, the technical and, and legal um, matters, if Department of Commerce had found that there were major violations, they would have terminated the agreement already. And so Commerce is going through a, a deliberate uh, process right now to gain comments from all sides, and you're seeing that, that come around right now. And um, 
you know, we we're hopeful that that the suspension agreement will remain, and then if that re- occurs, there'll be a sunset review period in 2024 where the five-year agreement is sort of renegotiated. And um, you know, for for the sake of consumers, we we hope that's the case. For the sake of uh, retailers who have grown used to having vine ripened tomatoes, we hope that's the case. One of the reasons, and and I think you you mentioned earlier you know, that the Florida tomato growers feel that, that that there's been dumping, and one of their major claims in in their comments to the Department of Commerce was that they've lost market share, and that that evidence of having lost market share is proof of dumping, and that's not really the case. What you see is consumers have voted with their pocketbook and chosen tomatoes primarily that are vine ripened that are grape tomatoes or other specialty uh, tomatoes, the multicolored tomatoes you might see. Um, the tomatoes that come out of Florida by, by state statute, by the Florida marketing orders, are grown what's called a mature green tomato. And this is a tomato that is picked before it started to ripen natural on the vine, um, before it started to color up in any way. And when you do that, the tomato doesn't start to convert some enzymes inside it that actually give it the sort of tomato taste and feel. And so that's just a, a function of the way that the Florida tomato is grown. Um, it's picked green. It's put into a banana ripening room that uh, essentially ethylene gas is put in there, and it turns red or pink. But it doesn't really get the same flavor. And so consumers have seen through that um, even restaurants, which used to like that kind of tomato because it was easy to slice, have moved away from it. Subway and Wendy's uh, generally are using more Roma tomatoes and vine-ripe tomatoes. And so there's an industry in Florida that does a lot to grow great produce, but in this case, they haven't really adapted to newer types of growing, which is greenhouse tomatoes, which is vine-ripe tomatoes, which are fancy tomatoes in the vine, which are kind of things that consumers are going for. And it also sounds to me like, and please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong through any of this, um, I don't mind, but it sounds to me like, you know, first off, it's a complex issue. But then we also have this point of, you know, the, the tomato exchange, which is the side of the growers, let's say. So, you know, we've kind of got the, the farmers, the growers themselves, and then there's this whole other part of the industry, which is the importers or the people, the, the companies that use the tomatoes and then the end user of the tomatoes. And it seems like there's just some varying viewpoints on this issue. You know, yes, of course, it would be nice to have all of our produce produced here in the United States. That's not always possible. Trade is necessary. And so this is one of those issues of how do we best handle this, you know, trade for tomatoes and making sure that we have tomatoes available for our consumers year round. Um, Am I kind of on the right track with this? I, I think yes. There's there's a few things that um, I consider. Um, so if you go back to when that anti-dumping uh, judgment came out in the mid '90s, at that time, at that stage, there are very few tomatoes grown in greenhouses. There mostly were these sort of mature green tomatoes, and so Florida had a commanding lead in the marketplace. And there are other mature green tomato growers all around the country. Over time. Um, that has sort of dwindled away because consumers, as I mentioned, want, want these vine racks. Um, 
I think that there's some things that the federal government can do to help Florida. One is, is research and innovation, things that they can do to somehow start to have greenhouses in, in Florida. You have pressures there, um, you know, from hurricanes that could knock over a greenhouse. And that, that makes it economically difficult to put greenhouses there, but maybe there's some technologies that, that can be expanded upon. Um, you have a lot of pest pressures in, in Florida that do make it difficult to have a closed structure for greenhouses, unfortunately, as well. Um, and I think one thing that really could could be helped is for Florida to look within its own state and to go to their governor and ask for a more lenient immigration policy. The, the state has probably the most restrictive immigration policy in the whole country. Meanwhile, their, their farmers in Florida need to have labor. Um, I know there's been some some proposals to amend the H-2A workforce, and some of those proposals are, are not are not well received by the farming community. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot that we can do to make sure the United States has adequate labor for um, farmers here to to get their their produce to market, and also to improve research and innovation within their sector, rather than changing trade laws or putting tariffs on something that's going to cause consumers to have to spend a lot more on tomatoes. And then you talked about some of the businesses that were involved in this letter. I think you said there was over 400, uh, just over 400 businesses involved in the letter encouraging that the suspension agreement not be terminated. The FPAA, I'm gathering, is among the signers of this letter, is that right? Yes. Okay. Can you just tell me a little bit more about the association? Yeah. So we were founded in 1944 uh, primarily to work with importers of produce from Mexico on their issues at the border. Back in those days, it was problems with the railroads, um, you know, inspections, and to a degree, we we still work on those same kind of things. Uh, We try to make sure the produce gets across the border. And, uh, you know, lately we've been spending a lot of time looking at at the ports of entry in Texas and other places where, where due to the migrant issue, things are being uh, disrupted. Um, sometimes we're looking at uh, working with USDA or FDA on different kinds of inspections. So um, we, we as an association represent the uh, American domicile company that, that per- brings produce in from Mexico and sells it around the country. Um, we have over 100 companies as part of the association, and we operate uh, those companies operate in most U.S. states, but the primary theme is that they have facilities in Arizona, Texas, and California. Okay. So just for the sake of transparency, if there were duties imposed, would this have any effect on your on the organization? Absolutely. Um, tomatoes are about 16% of produce that comes from Mexico. So if we saw duties, let's say, cut the, the tomatoes imports by half, that would certainly uh, be impactful to the association, more, more importantly, would be impactful to the companies that are part of the association who, you know, help make us healthy. If they're not healthy, we're not healthy. Um, the, the, the duties, if they were to go into place, um, after a year and a half, there's, there's a period where the Department of Commerce reviews those, and they might decide to raise the duties. If they do, then as an importer, you are liable for that percentage of difference, uh, and you have to pay it immediately. And so what's difficult for a lot of companies to contemplate is how do I determine how much I plant next year in Mexico 
if potentially I have duties facing me. And so that's that's what's on a lot of people's minds right now, as, as they're um, you know a lot of these companies that are farming in Mexico are also farming in the United States. They have greenhouses in the United States. Some of them have greenhouses in uh, Mexico, Canada, and the United States, and, and they're trying to plan out how they serve their customers over the whole year. Okay, so this this is a very important issue for you and you, the organization and the companies in the organization. Yes, it's um, the tomato industry is about um, the retail value of Mexican tomatoes is about six billion dollars in 2022, um, and it results in a economic impact of seven point five billion dollars. This is just importing Mexican tomatoes and forty nine thousand jobs. Um, that was in study by Texas A&M, and if you haven't seen that, I can send that to you. So bottom line, what happens now? This is, obviously, this is in somebody else's hands. What are you hoping for? Well, um, we're hoping that the Department of Commerce, after they review the comments and rebuttal comments, will look at this and decide that, that they would like to see the tomato suspension agreement remain and go into the normal uh, review and, and renegotiation period in 2024. That's, that's very very simple what, what we're asking for. All right. You know, in, in closing, is there anything that we missed or anything that you really want our listeners to take home? Well, I think there's um, a lot going on with this. You know, I think in, in this case you have um, a few wealthy farmers in, in Florida who have really been able to, over the years, tap into politics and, and be very successful in raising their issue uh, through the congresspeople and, and getting some action on that. Um, you know, there's there's also a lot of companies that are importing, as I mentioned, hundreds of companies that that sign this letter, and there are tens of thousands of employees, and of course the millions of consumers who, if uh, this goes through, would have to pay quite a bit more for tomatoes. And you know, so so I think we have to look at the whole and find a solution that 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 meets everybody's needs going forward. You know, again, I want to thank you for taking time out to give me a call and to discuss all of this and for answering all of my questions. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you, Sabrina. Thank you once again to Lance Youngmeyer, president of the Fresh Produce Association of the Americas. Next week, we hear from the other side of the issue with Michael Shadler of the Florida Tomato Exchange. That is this week's Agnet Weekly. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thank you for listening.